Hello everyone, welcome to Won't You Be My Rabbi with me, Laura Lebo, your host, your seeker, your wandering Jew. I am not wandering through the desert, but I am wandering through my own self-discovery. This is a podcast where I interview rabbis from different denominations of Judaism to see if I can find a piece of religion that I can incorporate into my current search for meaning. The meaning of what? I do not know. I'm definitely not looking for the meaning of life. That's too much information for me. I'm not ready for that. Don't tell me about the meaning of life. Don't tell me your secrets. Uh, Don't tell me what your tattoo means. These are all things that are uh, none of my business. But I am at this stage in my life where I'm looking to feel more connected. And I don't know if I can explain what I'm looking to feel more connected to. Am I looking to feel more connected to my fellow human? Or am I looking to feel more connected to this this layer that's always felt present to me that is more than human, that is non-material, that may even be divine? It's a layer that I've always been afraid to access potentially even embarrassed to access, but that I've always felt. I don't know if that layer is spiritual or religious, or if it's just humanity, but experienced in the collective as opposed to the one-on-one, or if I've just done too much acid. What I know for sure is that in the last year, I have felt spiritually restless. So I'm talking to some rabbis to see if they can help me make sense of some things. On this episode of the podcast, I spoke with Rabbi Dan Moskovitz. Rabbi Dan is a rabbi at Temple Shalom, a reform synagogue in Vancouver. I'll be honest, I went in with a lot of preconceived notions about what a rabbi is. I always felt connected to Judaism and to Jewish culture, but I never felt very connected to rabbis. To me, growing up, a rabbi was an old person who was nothing like me. I was young, they were old. I was small, they were tall. I got in trouble for reading an Archie comic in shul. Uh, They seemed to be allowed to read a giant book in front of everybody whenever it tickled their fancy. But Rabbi Dan felt familiar to me. He felt safe, he felt youthful, and he felt familiar. If Rabbi Dan is representative of Reform Judaism, then what I feel about Reform Judaism is that it is the most familiar to me. It's not overly bound by rules and traditions, but it also feels grounded and logical and thoughtful, and it doesn't feel too abstract or hippy-dippy. In essence, it reminds me of my father, my very safe, very kind, very warm, very smart, very logical father, except my father is deeply atheist, and Rabbi Dan is a rabbi. After talking to Rabbi Dan, My understanding of Reform Judaism is that, in essence, it responds to modernity. And this just works for me. I don't think I believe in one God that just handed down the rules for the world, you know, one time thousands of years ago, and then was like, nailed it! Great job, me. Perfect job, me. Uh, And then he invented golf and retired. I personally think that if God does exist, God lives in people, and people change, culture changes, and culture changes people. And if God is always with us, and we are always changing, then God is always changing, and his rules for how to live life 
and for dating his teenage daughter, are going to change as well. So I liked Rabbi Dan a lot. I liked what Rabbi Dan had to say. He made sense to me, and Reformed Judaism made sense to me. So without further ado, here is Rabbi Dan. Hi, Laura. Um, are you, so, are you in Montreal? I'm in Vancouver. Oh, you're in Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. I, I made up Montreal in my mind. Where in Vancouver do you live? Uh, I live in East Van, but uh, the synagogue is on Oak Street with most of the other synagogues. Okay, right on. Have you been in Vancouver for a while? Uh, actually, I guess Wednesday was my eighth year anniversary. We moved here in 2013 from California. Oh. And uh, you're American. Yeah, I'm American. In fact, um, we just uh, we became Canadian citizens this year, a and uh, I just signed a lifetime contract with the synagogue, so I'm here for good. A lifetime contract? Well, or till sixty-seven, whichever comes first. I would hope sixty-seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you're Americans, and you moved to Vancouver. Do you like? Do you prefer Canada? I love it here. You love it's it? Fantastic. Specifically, Vancouver, or just like the whole? Well, I mean, I I, I haven't. It's interesting. I haven't been to all of Canada. I was uh, in Montreal briefly for uh, vacation with my wife. And we, this past summer during COVID, we rented an RV and traveled all over BC for a month. Uh, but I haven't seen Atlantic Canada. I haven't seen Toronto other than the airport, uh, hoping to get to all of that. But whatever I have seen and experienced, every time we come into the airport, I feel like I'm home. Uh, and I grew up in California my whole life and went to university there and stuff. And you know, though I still have family there, this feels like home. I'm always very impressed with people who uh, uproot their lives, move somewhere else, and really make that place home. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, I third generation Torontonian, um, and I have mm. so many roots here. And the idea of moving somewhere like pretty far away and and different country sounds very scary right. to me. So, um, are Jews different here than in the states? Yeah, very much so. Reformed Jews, in particular. I mean, I was a you know California Reform rabbi. I don't, I don't play guitar, but. You know, sort of the, the stereotypes of, um, you know, a, a San Fernando Valley Reformed Synagogue, which is where I was uh, a rabbi at, of, you know, 1,250 households. And we, we used to, uh, it was a wonderful synagogue, a very, you know, large religious school. But, you know, Bar Mitzvah was kind of our bread and butter. Uh, we used to say we were a Bar Mitzvah factory that produced a good product. Um, and uh, Reformed Jews in Canada are very much like, I would say American conservative Jews. Uh, they're more serious about their Judaism. I have a, you know, a, a, a tremendous respect for American Jews of all flavors, and certainly Reformed Jews, of which I consider myself a proud part. But Judaism, Reformed Judaism in Canada, is more traditional. Uh, if I don't do the prayer for Rosh Chodesh, my congregants will remind me in the middle of the service. Uh, we have a somewhat daily minion here at the synagogue, which I don't think you find in most Reformed synagogues in the United States. Um, so it's a different, it's a different style. It's much more to my life. Okay. Uh, it just kind of fits. Yeah, it fits me. I, I grew up a bit of a Jewish mutt. Uh, I was, uh, I, my dad was actually president of two synagogues, the Reformed Temple and the Conservative Synagogue. I have on my office wall here, I have a bar mitzvah certificate from the Conservative Synagogue and the Reformed Temple because I had two B'nai Mitzvah. Friday night at the Reformed Temple and Conservative Synagogue Saturday morning. Oh my but gosh. We spent most of my childhood going to Chabad uh, in Berkeley, California.
So you're sort of like the, the children of divorced parents, but with two different uh, sects of Judaism. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I would say I'm, I'm a bit of a mosaic, if we a can mosaic. use the Canadian analogy. It's a much more beautiful explanation um, of it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this fits me really well. I don't know why I'm surprised to hear that the Canadian Jews are more or stricter or more formal. I don't know why that surprises me. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure if more formal as it is um, just you know, adhering more of it to, to Jewish tradition. Okay. Uh, I mean, part of it is our Jewish community here is not as old as that of the United States. I mean, there may have been Jews here for just about as long. Yeah. But the established Jewish community, you know, um, though there were institutions here prior to World War II, so much of the Canadian Jewish experience was established post-World War II by Holocaust survivors, right? Um, you know, whereas pre-World War II, the American Jewish community was really flourishing uh, and then it suburbanized after the war. Uh, the Canadian Jewish community, uh, I think, as I understand it and have gotten to know it, um, you know, really came into its own as established by Holocaust survivors who have their own take on if you're going to build a synagogue, if you're a Holocaust survivor and you're going to build a synagogue or, or be involved in a synagogue, then your theology is pretty deep, uh, you know, pretty deeply rooted. And, uh, and those are the people that, uh, you know, built this congregation and, and built many others. For some reason, I picture that Holocaust survivors, they would want to keep their Judaism quieter. But I suppose that doesn't necessarily mean that they would um, not practice very faithfully. Just maybe they don't talk about it as publicly. Yeah, I mean, I think some, you know, didn't go back into a synagogue after, after the Shoah. Uh, but for those that did... Um, for many, it was from a deep place of faith. And so even those that did so on a more egalitarian, progressive, reform, liberal, uh, you know, lane, uh, you know, for them, though, they still found great comfort in, in tradition and ritual. Um, but, you know, also the inclusivity and the egalitarianism that has become you know, part and parcel of the reform movement. So while we're here, um, what how would you explain the reform movement? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, one of the definitions of Reform Judaism is that it responds to, modern, to modernity uh, and that we, uh, we very much recognize that we are outside of the shtetl, that we live in a modern world. And so uh, our Judaism has to be relevant to a modern world. Uh, so, you know, one of the ways I think to understand it is that at the core of, of Judaism, the core of Reform Judaism, is what's the intention behind the mitzvah? Why is that there? Why, why is there a commandment about uh, loving your neighbor? You know, is that to be viewed in a narrow sense of, well, only the neighbor that you live to next in the shtetl? Or are we really talking about the neighbors that we live next to in our neighborhoods today? Uh, you know, in the more pluralistic well, uh, way of looking at it. And I would say that, that, you know, clearly Reform Judaism, just on that one particular mitzvah, you know, sees that as, you know, the broader community, not just the Jewish community. Um, you know, and then, you know, I think you could you could say also that, uh, you know, what defines Reform Judaism today is to meet people where they are, um, to value and uh, and appreciate the Judaism as it is a lived experience for them today, and, and, and to move them forward towards meaning, not towards maybe a hierarchy of more meets vote, but that what the what the Judaism that they practice should be, you know, firmly grounding a foundation uh, in their life. Um, I'm curious. So most of the rabbis I've never spoken to have said something um, close to, you know, meeting Jews where they're at. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, is there is it possible for a religious denomination in the modern world 
to thrive without doing that? Like, like, do you find that the younger generation, I'll put that in quotes, whatever that means, Gen Z, millennial, mm-hmm. um, are harder to reach if, if you're not, if you're not meeting them where they're at? That's an interesting question. I, yes, I think they, that you have to go to them. You know, it's, I mean, it's the, look, it's the, you know, the baseball movie. If you build it, they will come kind of thing. We've built lots of institutions and, and many are not walking into it or they're not walking into it unless they have a real reason to be there. But, you know, in our community here in Vancouver, we go out into the neighborhoods. We run programs in community centers. We run Talmud studies in coffee shops. Uh, and it's not just the geography of it, but it's the lower threshold of entry. Um, you know, it's a recognition that, that you know, for many Gen, Gen Zs and Ys, and I'm a Gen, I'm a Gen Xer, but, um, you know, it, they're not joining institutions. It's not yeah. about the it's not about the institution. It's about what that institution values or does. Yeah. And then the power that comes with being part of an institution or part of an organization. So if you care about the environment and you see it through a, a religious lens, a Jewish lens, then, uh, you know, as our congregation has a, you know, has a very active role in environmental justice and, so, and, and those issues, uh, then we're a good partner. We're a good ally. Yeah. For you to match your environmentalism with your Jewish value. Okay, understood. But you may not find that unless you, you know, if, if we wait for you to walk in the door and hear me give a sermon about the environment, you're never going to know it. But the fact that we have a podcast that talks about that, yeah. you know, or that we're out in the community doing that, then, you know, then we can we can have a meeting of minds. So, so there's a, a level of recruitment. I don't like the word recruitment, but there's a level of active seeking uh within the Jewish population. Do, do you have, this is actually something I've been curious about. Do you have people come to you um, in times of like crisis or maybe not full crisis, but, but a time where they're really desperate for some kind of meaning or they really need maybe uh, psychiatric help and they can't access it. And so they find, they seek also religious help. Like, do you, have you had somebody who wasn't raised very religious, seek you out ever? Oh, all the time. Uh, I mean, I think you could, the psychiatric help, I wouldn't want to label it as, as, you know, as something that's, um, you know, beyond my capabilities, because many things would be. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. You know, I have training in, in that area. But, you know, when somebody needs true psychiatric help, a rabbi is a great referral, but not not necessarily the help that they need. Uh, but many, many come to, uh, you know, to me and I'm sure other colleagues across the country seeking not just spiritual guidance, but, but, but emotional guidance, particularly dealing with bereavement, dealing with loss of any kind, whether it's a relationship, a job, you know, or a, a loved one, um, or just trying to find meaning. I mean, I've counseled many, particularly during this pandemic, uh, about the isolation and the loneliness that they feel, the discovery that they, you know, didn't have as many friends as they thought they had, um, you know, or were not. Uh, as close to their to uh, the person they were dating as they thought that they were, or, you know, they were they were you know in lockdown with them and discovered that that was the wrong place to be, and what that you know what that said to them about the life choices they had made. Right. So yeah, I I uh, and again I, I I can only speak really through the lens of the wisdom of Jewish tradition, but one of the great things about it being a people of a book or the book is that we have lots and lots of stories, and in each of those stories is um, a lens, a frame to view our own story. Uh, And that's what I often help people do. It's not that I'm telling them, you know, God says you should do this, but rather let's look at the stories of our people and the history and try to find, uh, 
a way to look at our own lives. Well, I also think, you know, I mean, the pandemic was uh, was wild for many reasons, including the fact that... I love that you use the word was. I feel like we're still in it. <laughs> I, I fluctuate. I go back and forth between saying was and is. It depends on my my yeah. state of mind in the moment that I right. say it. Sometimes right. I'm just trying to manifest something, I think. Right, um, right. Also, I'm double vaxxed now, which is the closest I've ever felt. Yeah. But, you know, this uh, the pandemic will not soon be in the rear view. It's, it's embedded in our souls, I think, for, for a little while. I hope so. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the reasons is what you you were alluding to, which is um, a lot of like, a lot of big questions you can easily be distracted by when you're uh, constantly working, when people mm-hmm. are constantly distracted or like working, uh, you know, going to some bar, like, like just moving just in motion in perpetual motion. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to seek a lot of greater meaning um, because you are just not really living very presently. And I think the pan- maybe the pandemic pushed people uh, to be a little bit more present, which can be extremely overwhelming if you haven't done it mm-hmm. in a while. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think maybe there's some leftover. We'll have that leftover from the pandemic. I would hope so. No, I think you're right. I think that um, you know, it's one of the, the, the blessings in the midst of the curses. I mean, all of this alone time has been brutal for many. Um, but also it has, you know, sort of shined a light on, uh, you know, the stuff that we didn't want to look at. Uh, I know in my own family, I mean, we have three children and we were driving around crazy every afternoon between sports and dance and school and all these different things. And when that stopped, we not only got more time back, but we we got more life back. Yeah. You know, we had dinner together every night. We, we were able to have conversations. It wasn't about who needs to be where, when. And as we come out of this pandemic, I don't think it's in the rearview mirror yet, but it's, you know, we're approaching the off ramp, you know, as we come out of this, and this is, I think, is a very Jewish um, mode to look at these things. We don't want to come back in the same way that we came out. Right. Um, And so, you know, as I think of one of the things that Judaism teaches me is about how to how to how to have holy time, you know, how, how to manage my life in a meaningful way and not be a slave to my calendar or my devices. Because Judaism is, you know, is very much about the celebration of, of that kind of the, the freeing up, um, you know, from you know slavery from Egypt all the way forward to today, and so what's the kedusha? What's the holiness in living a post-pandemic life? And it's not, oh, it's, it was so holy before, right? But rather, how can I come back with meaning? How can I back come back with kavanah, with intentionality to live, you know, a, a life uh, I think that's worthy of God's blessing? I am. Um... I'm just distracted because I love all the Jewish words you're using. I don't know what most of them mean, but I'm always a sucker <laughs> for any Jewish word. It makes me want to just make them up as we go along. But I think I translated each one I used. I you, think I translated each you one You did. I used. You did translate each one. That's true. Do you think that having a strong relationship with religion almost always improves a person's mental health or not necessarily? Well, no, I, I don't think it does. Okay. It depends what that relationship is. The, the relationship with religion could be abusive. You know, yes, it, fair it, it enough. Could be, yeah. You know, extreme. But I mean, when I when I talk to teenagers, I talk about uh, when you make a decision, it should go through five lenses, and that most of us, if we're lucky, it goes through four. You know, what do I think about it? What do my parents think about it? What do my peers think about it? And will I get arrested for it? What does society think about it? And and I say, I'm try goal as your rabbi is to add a fifth lens, which is what is what does God or what does um, Judaism think about what I'm about to do. Now, you may make your decision based on all five of those or just some of those lenses, but if we can add that extra, um, you know, that, that extra check, that extra check yeah. checkbox, then I think 
that it can make the decision, whatever it is, you know, to feel better about it, to maybe even be more guided or more directed. So in that sense, a, re a relationship with religion is, I think, a very powerful and valuable and, and helpful thing. So you work with a lot of uh, like 12, 13, 14 year olds approximately around there? You know, cradle to grave. I mean, that's what a rabbi does, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't spend a lot of time talking with four and five year olds. Right. Um, so as they, you know, as they develop, you know, the cognitive ability to have conversations, then the rabbi can kind of step in. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, a good part of what I do is work with teens, but it's not. Uh, no, not exclusively, but I, I'm more just curious because I, I love, I, I find that age group to be uh, so interesting and exciting they're like becoming people they're right. like they're they're always people but they're like really starting to like be super curious and uh intellectual like outside of just um experiencing life through their five senses and i wonder like do you find that that children around that age have uh any conception of god and if so is it always like a pretty interesting one well, first of all, I say about adolescence, you know, when you talk to teenagers and adolescents, that the reason we use that, that term is because they addle your essence. Yeah. You know, there is a part of you inside of them that either has died and you wish it would come back or, you know, you are uh, you're so glad that you don't have to struggle with those kinds of, you know, conflicts. And, you know, you have other conflicts you struggle with. But, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. I find that that. The theology is a kind of a spectrum. I don't want to say a spectrum disorder, but it, it but it, it does move along a spectrum. And that when we are really young children, it's very simple and it's very sweet. You know, and God is an old man or woman on a cloud, and you can say Baruch Atah and I bicycle and think that you're going to get a bicycle. Yeah. And when you get into the middle of your life, particularly um, you know in I think your teenage years and your 20 years, you're questioning. You've got uh, you know all sorts of inputs of information, and everything seems like there's a scientific answer to it because that's what you know university and even high school is telling you. And so theology is very complicated. Then now you're suspicious of everything, which is what I think it means to be a teenager. Yes. And then when you go into adulthood and you have kids. Then you start to realize that there is a whole bunch here that I don't understand uh, that transcends. And then, of course, later on in life, as life, you know, for, for many and on a normal you know, cycle of life becomes to you know, draw towards its end, you know, then I find that many of my congregants are, are particularly uh, spiritual in, in their reflections. Uh, but it's those teenage years, I think that they have a tenuous relationship with God. They are struggling with God. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I... I'm not that far away from my teenage years, only like, <laughs> you know, two to 10 years, um, right. two to 25 years. But um, I was a very uh, bullheaded teenager. And I was uh, sure. actually, actually, atheism was a really deep part of my identity. Um, and I'm trying to remember if as a child, I I think as a kid, I did have that like, give me a bicycle, basically thinking that you could mm -hmm. like, read like, start a registry with God, you know, right, right. register for gifts. And then I don't, I don't really know when I, I lost it, but atheism became a really important part of, of who I was to the point that even when I did start recently to move towards some conception of higher power, I had a really hard time admitting it to myself and admitting it to my peers and admitting it to my fam, like some members of my family. And I wonder if that's some, like an experience. I, I think I think uh, atheism is a lot more popular these days, maybe amongst younger people, amongst a lot of liberal people I know, and it makes it kind of challenging sometimes to admit that you're seeking and, and that's 
specifically what you're seeking? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think that, that um, you know, for one thing, I think that often we get confused between religion and spirituality. And, you know, if, if spirituality is religion on your own terms uh, or God on your own terms, then religion is, is spirituality on God's terms. You, you, you've got to find meaning in this way. And that is in direct conflict with the, the freedom and the autonomy that teenagers are seeking and young adults are seeking and 20-somethings are seeking. But, and I learned this from the 12-step world, one of the definitions that I use for God is God is an acronym. G-O-D stands for good orderly direction. And so when you're looking for the way to live your life with more meaning, you know, when you've you know, lost a relationship, lost a job, come out of college and didn't find a job, and you're saying, and you're you're starting to look at, well, how do I how do I navigate this? Yeah. Then good orderly direction, that kind of God, that living with purpose. Yeah. That's you know that's part of that maturity that comes. And then you know if you haven't been so estranged from it, if you've stayed proximate to summer camp, day school, youth group, whatever it was, then maybe religion is there for you uh, to you know kind of help pull you to shore. Right. I'm curious about your relationship with the 12 step world is, if I may ask. I've just done a lot of work with congregants okay. in it. And one of the areas of my, I'd be reluctant to call it scholarship, but I do a lot of work uh, on Jewish men's issues. Okay. And so I used to host a, a men's group uh, in my previous congregation. And uh, a couple of the guys in it were in 12 step and they were the ones that liked to talk. Yeah. So <laughs> I would, um, so I, I, you know, I really drew from that model and I would go and attend you know, 12 step uh, meetings, and AA meetings, really to see what was going on. And you, everybody discovers something there. I think if you, if you go in, I used, I gave a sermon once about how I found God in a church basement. And that if you really want to find spirituality, if you really want to find religion, you know, go look for people that are broken and trying to, to heal themselves. Yes. And, and then you'll find, um, you know, not the, not the religion of, you know, Saturday morning services with, you know, a bunch of old people in the back of the room, you know, whatever is kibitzing. Yeah. But then you'll find religion at work and it's there. Oh, a thousand percent. And it's what pushed me. Um, it, it's what pushed me to, to reconnect with, um, some level of spirituality. It's a, it's a very quiet kind of practice. Like there's mm-hmm. not a lot of fanfare. Mm-hmm. there's chairs and coffee and mm-hmm. a book and conversation and not even actually not even conversation um, no, listening. because listening, listening and, and whatever you, because you know, you can't directly comment on someone else's share. Right. What you say is so holy. It exists just for you and potentially God, if that's where you're at. Um, right. And yeah, so I, I love, I love you're, you're not the first rabbi. I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised that a religious person would have an affiliation with the 12 steps, obviously. Like, that makes so much sense. But that's, it warms my heart to... Well, but a lot of people don't think that, that it fits Jewishly because it's, you know, very much an intervening God. Yeah. And, you know, it has a lot of Christian roots. But, and I'm no expert on that per se, um, you know, but I have found amongst the, the, the mostly men that, that I have worked with that it, that, it, that it actually has enhanced their Judaism. Uh, and again, if you want to see religion at work, go look for people who are broken and trying to use religion as the, the thing that's going to hold them together. Yeah. And, and then you can see religion really working. Well, you know, um, I think there are cynics who would say that, they, that people who are broken are seeking religion only because they absolutely need it. Um, and so they're maybe like grasping at straws. Mm. Um, and it, 
but I actually think that that I don't know why that would necessarily diminish it. Like I have had people in my life make comments to me, you know, about uh, my fellow addicts and how I would say, oh, you know, these people who are really the most successful are the people who have, uh, they don't explain anything about their higher power in detail, but they have a strong sense of it. Personally, you can tell. And I've had people say like, oh, well, that's just because they, they have to. And it's like, yeah, they have to. And so they did. Right, exactly. And, and don't we all have things that we have to? I mean, it, it's just, you know, that group has identified it. But so many of us are walking around with the unidentified, you know, brokenness and isolation and, and even fear inside of us that we're not dealing with. Or we're, or we're self-medicating in other ways, whether it's yoga or food or, you know, um, I don't know, what, you know, buying things, materialism, whatever it is. But we've, we've all got our stuff. I mean, that's the one. I've been a rabbi for 20 plus years. And the one thing I've learned is everybody's got something. Everybody's got their stuff, right? Absolutely. So yes. there is no holier than thou in, in the world, certainly not in Judaism. And, uh, you know, the people that I draw insight from and, and knowledge from are the people that are working on it. Uh, you know, that are humble enough to say, you know, I don't have this all figured out yet. And generally, they're the most well-adjusted, or, or at least at least they're living life the most kindly. Like, mm-hmm. if you know your stuff, it's a lot easier to be polite and kind. Um, yeah. So did you come up in Reform Judaism? Oh, no, you said Reform and Conservative. Reform and Conservative, and a little bit of Chabad. And then and my, Chabad. But my, my real Jewish identity was out of, actually, in BBYO. Uh, Jewish youth group, uh, AZA and BBG, and I was very involved, which is a which was a non-denominational or pan-denominational youth group. So, you know, we had Jews of all flavors and no flavor. Um, so, you know, that was just, it, it was just kind of, I, I lived in, in a Jewish environment, but it was not defined, okay. which is, you know, in some ways, kind of where I think Judaism needs to end up. All of these labels and all of this denominationalism is, I'm not sure it's doing us any good. Yeah. You know, we're, we're making too many silos. Everybody's having their own meal instead of figuring out how to eat together. Why do you think people um, really like to label, or like, why do you think people are so obsessed with, with making all these like new silos? Well, I mean, part of it is you, you crave commonality, right. right? So you're looking for people like you. Um, and so you, you, you know, and then you start to draw more and more lines and all of a sudden you discover there are less and less people like you because you've excluded all these others that really, right. you know, we should be using more broad definitions of, of who is a Jew. And, you know, for me, the working definition, the working definition, it's not the halachic, it's not the Jewish law definition. But for me, the working definition of who is a Jew is who wants to be a Jew. Right. And we'll go from there. And of course, there's red lines of things that, you know. You, you, you can't be a vegetarian and eat meat, right? So there's there's certain things that are incongruent with being sure. Jewish. But but for the most part, if you want to be Jewish, let's start from there, and and uh, you're Jewish, and we'll 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 go from there. Great, I'm Jewish. There you go. Okay, I've decided. So what you're well, saying is, yeah. uh, you're so we're we're gonna blow up the whole premise. Uh, there's no denominations, and uh, we're not gonna silo them. There, w- Judaism is is just being a Jew. Uh, and and then uh, whatever religious leader meeting you where you're at. Yeah, I mean, what does it mean to be a Jew? Ultimately, it means to take on the responsibilities of living a Jewish life. It's not about what you believe, it's about what you do. So if you're gonna do Jewish, then I think you're, you're, the, you're the vast majority of the way there. If there's a technical issue because you don't have a Jewish parent or you don't have a Jewish mother, we can deal with that. But that's, that's a technical foul. That, that should not be the first question that should be the last one. 
you know, before we have to, uh, I don't know, you know, sign some document or, you know, make sure that you can get into to this marriage or that program. Right. The only thing about the Jewish mother is, yeah, sure, but religiously, you know, who cares? You know, you want to be a Jew, be a Jew. There is a very, there's a cultural specificity to growing up with a woman with that level of neuroses that mm-hmm. makes you truly fundamentally a cultural Jew. And that is something uh, that, you know, it's, it's pretty, you can feel when somebody was raised by a Jewish mother, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I think that, that, that you could say even people that, that convert to Judaism are products of Jewish mothers because somewhere along the way, ah. male or female, somebody, you know, in, in the best sense of the term, mothered them Jewishly. Yes. Uh, you don't come into this if you're if, 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 if you're not embraced at some point. And, and to me, my own Jewish mother, um, you know, is is all about the love and the embrace. Yes. And the, and the you know, I'm going to I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept you as you are. I mean, that's that that's that's Jewish motherhood, in my view, and uh, love you unconditionally. And uh, I hope that everybody that comes into Judaism gets Jewish mothered, whether it's by that. a man, woman, or anything in between. No, no, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, the neurosis is rivaled only by the warmth uh, yeah. in Jewish motherhood. Yeah. I really like that idea, and I think you're, I think you're right that um, in general, also just like my non-Jewish friends who most flock to uh, ha- having a lot of Jewish friends or or being mm-hmm. very interested in Judaism um, are often drawn to the warmth of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll just say this one other thing about Jewish mothers. I'm not sure how we got on this topic, but <laughs> I always end up here. <laughs> and I don't know if this will work for the podcast or not. But you know, they, they what we learned a lot about the about you know the, the movement for racial justice in the United States amongst the black community, <clears throat> and and for that matter, in the recent election, was the role that that black women, black mothers and grandmothers have played in that community. I think that you can make a similar case for the the outsized influence of Jewish mothers and Jewish yeah. women on Jewish identity, even though we are such a male-centric, male-gendered religion, if you look at our books and the rabbis and the authority and all of these things, but it has been even traditionally, and it is very practically today, it's the Jewish mothers and the Jewish yeah. women that are that are holding Judaism together. We love it. We love to, to see a rabbi feminist. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? Um, it was so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. This. And um, don't tell my mom I called her neurotic, even though she'll hear this. You know, just if you ever oh, run into her. Knows. She already knows. She already knows. She already knows. <laughs> <laughs>for listening to this episode of Won't You Be My Rabbi. There are five episodes in this miniseries. You can hear them all at thecjn.ca slash b-my-rabbi. This show is edited and produced by Michael Freeman. Our music is by The Underscore Orchestra. I'm comedian Laura Lebo. You can check out my content on YouTube or follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo to hear about upcoming shows. <laughs>